Uh, Devil was thinking about this for a few moments. I thought I'd take you to the far, far away land, cold, cold, cold place of Antarctica for a brief look at community lived out in the lives of those there. Let's watch the screen. As the fathers settled into their long wait at the breeding ground, the winter's second storm arrives. The temperature is now 80 degrees below zero. That's without taking into account the wind, which can blow 100 miles an hour. Though they can be aggressive during the rest of the year, at this time, the males are totally docile a united and cooperative team. They brace against the storm by merging their thousand bodies into a single mass. They will take turns, each of them getting to spend some time near the center of their huddle, where it's warmer. cold wasn't it but but fascinating I, I, to see those majestic emperor penguins survive by sticking together and sharing the load um, to, to quote mr. Freeman the best documentary voice ever they brace against the storm by merging their thought thousand bodies into a single mass they will take turns each of them getting to spend some time near the center of the huddle where it's warmer um, that film, for me, transformed penguins from kind of silly, silly, waddling birds to, to these awesome examples of community and, and sacrifice. It really is quite profound. Somehow ingrained in their wiring is this idea from Ecclesiastes, a, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Last year, uh, National Geographic had in one of their issues a study of communities in the world where they had the highest percentage of people that lived to the age of 100 and beyond. Do you know what the common features were of those regions? There were, there were basically three. Uh, healthy diet, generally they ate well. Uh, the perp they had a, a purpose for their lives, a, a reason to get up every morning, and they had a strong sense of community, a, a group of friends in which to journey through life with. In fact, National Geographic was especially surprised by the finding that each of the top centurion communities were, were strongly connected to a faith community. The, the researcher says that it seems far, uh, if a person is connected to a faith community and participates at least four times a month in that community, that'll likely add four to 14 years uh, to their life. Pretty serious. Um, that all said, I've been having some friends uh, and conversations with, with, with many of you over recent months, and there's been this kind of common thread and common theme as I've talked to you, is that friendship is difficult seems like when we become adults, we leave school, where we're kind of in this social environment all the time, when we get out into the real world, into the, and we, particularly in the suburbs, uh, we find friendship and close relationships challenging. And, and according to research in Canada, very few of us have very close friends. One of the reasons for that, according to Berkeley professor Dr. Susan Phillips, is that simply that friendships just aren't that important to us as a society. Surprisingly, we don't value it that much. There's, 
but, but there's a cost for that. Writer Emily Isfani Smith, she writes about the price for our social disconnection. Listen to what she says. We volunteer less. We entertain guests at our home less often. We're getting married less. We're having fewer children. And we have fewer and fewer close friends with whom we'd share the intimate details of our lives. We're denying our social nature and paying a price for it. Listen to what she says in her conclusion. Over the same period of time that social isolation has increased, our levels of happiness have gone down, while rates of suicide and depression have multiplied. Friendships would appear to be crucial for our physical and emotional and, and spiritual health, our well-being, and for our faith. One of the number one factors as to whether we'll continue in our faith and in our life with Jesus is if we have friends who share a common love for God. And, and so this morning, I want to look at how, how spiritual friendships can enable our life with God to flourish. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to John chapter 15. If you, if you need, last week we talked about meditating on like one small piece of scripture. If you're really stuck and you can't come up with one, go to John 15. It's got like enough meat to last you a year, maybe 10. In this passage, Jesus gathered with some of his closest disciples. It was on that same night where he broke bread and gave it to his, his close friends. And he shared with them, them these important words. Listen to this in verse 9 of chapter 15. 15 of John 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain, or as remember I said last week, make your home in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for his friends, or one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. This is my command love each other may god bless his word and let's pray just bow your heads with me jesus uh we saw you tonight today illustrated a breaking bread and giving the cup to your your disciples we remember the time though that you took the bread and the fish and you broke it and prayed over it and gave thanks and 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 multiplied it to feed many and i pray you would break your word for us today that our souls might be fed with the richest affair, and that we might grow, and we might learn what your design and will for us to, to live in community. Help us to, to hear from you and to learn from you today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this text, we see that Jesus calls his followers friends. No rabbi in his day would have done that. It's an incredibly intimate term. In fact, it's an incredibly honoring term for us that Jesus would call us his friends. Uh, Jesus not only calls us his friends, but he asks us also to befriend each other when he says in verse 12, love each other as I have loved you. And we're in this series on what it looks like to experience God in every part of our lives. And, and we've been talking about in this series how there's this series of spiritual practices we can do to connect us more deeply with God. We talked about practicing Sabbath, and we talked about prayer and, and uh, getting more deeply into scripture and reading scripture 
This morning we're going to look at spiritual friendship and how that draws us close to God. And, and of course, prayer and scripture are, are very important in our relationship with God and drawing near to him. But for some people, spiritual friendship is going to be just as important. In fact, I would suggest in some seasons of your life, spiritual friendship is going to be maybe more important to you than, than prayer or, or scripture reading, believe it or not. So we're going to look at this, and we're going to look at how Jesus just embodies what it means to be a spiritual friend, an ideal spiritual friend, as he commits to us, as he cares for us, and as he is completely candid with us. So what does a spiritual friend look like? A little bit like Jesus. We're, we're going to commit, we're going to care, and we're going to be candid. First, a, a spiritual friend commits. Uh, we read in verse 13 of John 15, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus not only talked about laying his life down for us, as, as we reflected on today, in some theoretical way. Jesus actually laid down his, his life for us on the cross as a perfect, sinless human being, offering himself on the cross for our sacrifice so that our sins could be forgiven and that we could have a brand new start with God. It, it's pretty awesome news. It's great news. Anne Lamont, a great author, she tells about this five-year-old kid at the Stanford University Hospital who's approached by a doctor and, and told, your sister is very ill. She may be dying. And your sister's in need of a, a blood transfusion, and we can't seem to find blood that would match. But you have exactly the kind of blood she needs. So the doctor asked this five-year-old kid, would you be willing to, to share your blood and, and give your blood to your sister so that she might live? The five-year-old boy, he thought about it for a, a long, long time. He was really quiet. And finally he said, yes, I'm, I'm willing. And so they put him on a gurney and they took him and they took his blood and they gave it to his sister. And after he's given his blood and he's lying there in the gurney, he seems really subdued and sad. And when the doctor comes back in and, and the boy sees him, uh, the five-year-old looks at the doctor and says, will I, will I start to die right away? <laughs> you see, he thought giving his blood to his sister meant that he was going to die. And we know that donating blood doesn't mean you're going to die, but he thought that. And his willingness to give his life for his sister, his blood for his sister, really showed that he was committed to her. Most of us are not in relationships uh, where the people around us are that committed to us as, as that boy was or as Jesus uh, was to us. But I wonder if any of you have ever seen the film The Breakfast Club. Um, it, it's kind of that classic, iconic 80s movie. I don't know if it's worth going back and digging it out of the catacombs, necessarily. But uh, <laughs> it was about one day in high school. It was actually a Saturday where uh, five individuals get thrown together and they spend the day together because they're, they've got, been put in detention. And they're five very different people. Uh, one's kind of the, the bad boy, heavy metal guy, and the, another, another one is a, a, a high school jock, sports, sports character. Uh, one's the nerd, and, and uh, you got this uh, princess, bright beauty queen type. And, and uh, interesting thing, as the film goes on, they, the walls come down, they have these honest conversations, and they, and they actually see kind of unfold friendship. And uh, at, towards the end of the movie, they're all kind of gathered together, I think in the library, and they're, they're sitting around talking, and, and one of the, the fellows, the, the nerd character, he asks a, a kind of a profound question. He says, so, what happens on Monday? Are we still going to be friends on Monday? And Claire says, she's the, the smart, pretty one. If you want the truth, I don't think so. 
they get into this big discussion about how uh, there'll be those pressures from all the other friends, and it won't be cool to say hi to you in the hallway. We won't be friends on Monday. Friendship, according to Jesus, is not that kind of friendship. What you might call casual friendship or friendship of convenience or when it fits or when it happens to, you, you happen to be thrown together with a few people for a few hours. Where it, where it just benefits us. And I, I don't know if there's necessarily anything right or wrong with those friendships, but, but a true spiritual friend will be with us not because we have something to offer them, but because, or, or because we're from the same background. It, it, we won't, that won't be what the friendship looks like. I wonder this morning, we, we've talked about this before, do you have a 2 o'clock friend, a 2 a.m. friend? When your car breaks down or, or your kids are in trouble or there's trouble of some kind, do, do you have someone that you can call confident of their help? If so, you probably have a true spiritual friend. Another question, do you have someone in your life that you could imagine would die for you, that would give your life, their life for you? It's much higher stakes, isn't it? The answer to that question is yes, you do. And again, not, a, not in a theoretical way. You have someone who not only would die for you, you have somebody who did die for you. Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago died for you. And if you're ever having a, a doubt or a question whether you're special or not, you can look to that event and you go, you're special because Jesus, I, I believe he would have died if you were the only person on the planet to redeem. He loves you that much. He's that committed to you. It says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. He, he laid down his life for you. And when we realize just how committed Jesus is to you, then we in turn, we're free out of, out of that sense of being taken by God and blessed by God. We can, then, we can then offer that kind of friendship to somebody else. We're free to do it. We can become a 2 a.m. friend. We can we can become the kind of friend that has this stick-to kind of quality. So a true spiritual friend experiences the commitment of Jesus Christ and then offers that commitment to somebody else. A true friend commits. A true friend also cares. And in Jesus' life, we see many examples of how he was moved with compassion, how he cared for his friends. One example is when he was with two of his friends. Remember Mary and Martha, or Martha and Mary? Two sisters, they went through the death of their brother Lazarus and Jesus arrives at their home several days after Lazarus had died and Jesus was so connected to Martha and to Mary that he was so aware of their pain and their loss that he mourned and 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 wept bitterly it seems at at the mourning of these two friends you see Jesus he was so connected to these two women that he was able to relate to them and he was able to to comfort them in a way that was truly meaningful and, and helpful and and uplifting. And there's kind of a, a, a principle here. In, in order to care for someone in a way that's truly helpful and, and meaningful, we really need to know that person. <laughs> we, we need to know their, their character. We, know, we need to know kind of their temperament and, and their emotional makeup. If someone is, is just an acquaintance, we can, in good intentions, try our very best to show care to them, but you never know. It might not quite hit the mark. In fact, it might go the other way. We might bring them down. I hear those kind of stories often. There's a verse in Proverbs, I think, that describes this. It says, like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or this, this illustration just hurts, or like vinegar poured on a wound, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. You know, that verse talks about a person who, 
who encounters someone with a heavy heart, and this person, likely again, well-minded, good, good intentions here, they try to cheer the other person up by, by singing a ditty, by singing a happy song. But it's not what the other person wants to hear. <laughs> they, they maybe need somebody to hold their hand or to cry or to say a, sp- a special word. But it's just the wrong thing at the wrong time because the person doesn't know the person. Um, occasionally, as a pastor, I do funerals. And uh, earlier this year, uh, an acquaintance of mine at a local coffee shop, I, I literally bumped into him one morning, and he looked kind of down. I said, hey, hey, how you doing? And he says, not well. I said, what's up? He says, well, my dad died yesterday. And he said, I, I hoped, I didn't have your number, I hoped I'd bump into you here today because I wanted to ask you to do the funeral. And uh, I really hardly knew this guy. He's the kind of guy I bumped into about once every six weeks. And, uh, but I said, hey, I'd be happy to do that. And got to be honest, it was on the awkward side of funerals because I knew my friend barely and I didn't know the family at all. And uh, embarrassing moment. This is one of my embarrassing moments, and you know I've had a few. This, this will be in the book someday. But I get up there at the funeral, and the, the fellow, he had a nickname, and it was Gibby. Or so I thought it was Gibby. And so I said, today we remember our friend Gibby, and it was actually Gilly. And his wife in the front row corrected me. It's Gilly! <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay, Gilly. And then I, I proceeded to call him Gibby again, like a moment later. And then she's like, it's Gilly! And it was funny. I thought so. Nobody else was laughing. <laughs> Actually, at the end, somebody thought, I, I, I did include a couple of their jokes in, my, in, my, in the service, and so people thought I was actually doing it intentionally. It was a bit of a joke, but no, it was just me being me. Um, so my friend, who was an acquaintance, and I'd just gotten to know, it, when it came to actually offering comfort to him and his family, it was actually kind of difficult because I didn't know them very well. Um, it was kind of generic. And then uh, within a couple weeks of that, funeral. I did another funeral. It was Darlene Rogers' husband, Wayne. I've known Darlene uh, for, and Wayne for 19 plus years I've known them. And because we live uh, family far away most of the time, um, my Darlene has become like a surrogate mom at times to my wife. Uh, we've journeyed together. We've seen a lot of good days and bad days with Darlene, and, and I consider her a good friend. And so when her husband, Wayne, died, and I was asked to do the funeral, it was so much easier for me to offer comfort to her and to the family because I knew her well. I kind of knew what Darlene made Darlene tick, and it was a privilege to do her funeral, or Wayne's funeral. By the way, Proverbs has to say a lot about friendship. One proverb says, a, a friend loves at all times. And uh, some of us have the idea that if we're going to be close friends with somebody, that it means we're going to be together all the time. Um, but there's another proverb that warns, if you step into your neighbor's house too often... They will hate you. <laughs> Just, uh, you got to hold those two in tension, folks. <laughs> so spiritual friendship, just want to say, I mean, you're, you're going to want to know the person, but it doesn't mean that you're going to be together all the time. Um, we need to know each other well enough to know when it's good to be together and, and when it's good to have some space between one another. But in order to care for one another in a way that's helpful and meaningful, we need to know each other. From my own experience of being in the, church, in, in the same church for close to 20 years and being in small groups in that time, in, in that church for most of that time, um, one of the best things is you become known and you get to know others. You, you come to know each other's strengths and weaknesses and you know each other's sort of tendencies and, and temptations. And the cool thing is you get to know each other so much so that when 
you're going through something, when, when someone offers you a word of counsel or, or comfort, or when a word of rebuke or, or uh, advice is given, it's actually really helpful because we really know each other. I, I, I think one of the dangers of our day where, where people switch churches like they're changing pants um, is that you don't ever stay long enough to get known. And, and kind of one of the reasons why I've been a pastor in the same church for so long is I kind of believe that there's such benefit to long-term roots in a community. And I encourage you to consider that if you haven't decided to make this your home. Make it your home. Or, or go find a place that you can make home. Um, but stay, and, and you will be known, and you'll be able to know others too. A true friend is someone who cares deeply out of no, a deep knowing and vice versa. And the reason we can care deeply for others is because we have first been cared for by Jesus. He said, as I have loved you, so love one another. A true friend, as we see in Jesus, commits, he cares, and then thirdly, a true spiritual friend is candid. Jesus says in our text, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you, and therefore we are called friends, really. Jesus says, you're my friends, Everything that I, I, I learned from my father, I've disclosed to you, I've made known to you. And, and really, this is one of the true signs of, of spiritual friendship, is that people trust each other to, enough to, to shed the half-truths and to actually share their brokenness, as we heard about this morning. What a gift that is to, when we find out that your wounds make up part of who you are. Your vulnerabilities are, are, are a huge part of who, who you are. And to be able to share your hopes and your dreams and your secrets, they're, they're open and, and spiritual friends are candid with each other. Ken Shigematsu talks about one of his uh, friends named David Benthal. David uh, came from a prominent Vancouver uh, family, a business family. Uh, David actually wrote a book. He came here and, and, and spoke a few years ago. He wrote a book called The Company You Keep. But David was traveling once and he was staying in a hotel room and he was missing his wife. And that, that night, David was especially drawn to the adult movie channel. He thought to himself, no one will ever know. I mean, this isn't going to hurt anybody. So he watched an adult movie later that night, and he found himself feeling this great sense of regret and shame. And he thought to himself that at the very least, he hurt himself spiritually. He gets back home, and he, he meets up with a couple of his close friends, uh, Bob and Carson. Uh, David, in his book, Company You Keep, he talks about this friendship a lot between these two, two men. He tells them what happened. He, he, he confesses his sin to them. And, and they're very open. They're very upfront with each other. And one of them says, listen, David, the next time you're on a business trip, I want you to go to the hotel clerk and when you check in and tell them to block the adult movie channels from your television. And David kind of knows instinctively that that's a good idea, but he's like, that would be so embarrassing to actually say that to a hotel clerk. And besides, I'm like a grown man and everything. So he wasn't really excited about it. But his next trip, took him to California, and as David was checking into his hotel, he, he asked the hotel clerk, would you please block the adult movie channels to my room? And uh, as the, the clerk raised her eyebrow, David thought, this is a little embarrassing. But he also thought, I'd, I'd rather face the raised eyebrow of a hotel clerk I'll probably never meet again than face the raised eyebrows of my friend when I get back and tell him what happened. Those three friends are, are in a spiritual friendship. They're candid with each other. They confess their sins to each other. They, 
they challenge each other, sometimes with, with hard yet redeeming words. In the book of Proverbs, we read that the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. And we see this in Jesus. You know, one, one time when Jesus was with his disciples, he was there with Peter, his, one of his closest friends. And Jesus was talking about his upcoming death and suffering in, in Jerusalem. And Peter, out of very good, good intentions, he gives these serious objections to, to Jesus. But Jesus recognizes Peter is being influenced by darkness in that moment. He's not seeing clearly. And so Jesus looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. He rebukes Jesus in, in the strongest of words. And sometimes Jesus, in our journey with him, he will rebuke us with hard words that may feel like a wound to us. But as the proverb says, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. If Jesus' words open us up, if he wounds us with his openness, those wounds will ultimately heal us. You know, he, he will speak transparently to us words of, of comfort, words of challenge, and words of wisdom. And as we experience the directness of Jesus, out of the security of our relationship with him, that he'll not only speak those hard words to us, but we also are secure in his love for us, we can then in turn do that for a friend. We can confess our sin and we can maybe confront and, and, and counsel and, and, and speak strongly to those who are our spiritual friends. Being vulnerable and experiencing that vulnerability is a great gift. So a true friend spiritually a, a true spiritual friend commits, a true spiritual friend cares, and a true spiritual friend is open or candid. So how do we enter into such a friendship? It's a good question. Let's get to how we do this. First of all, we pray. As we look at Scripture, we see that friendships are often orchestrated by God. I mean, God brings together David and Jonathan. God orchestrates the relationship between Ruth and, and Naomi. And it's God who brings together Jesus and his disciples. It was Jesus, in this passage, he says to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. C.S. Lewis, in his book on friendship called The Four Loves, he writes, he says, in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers, but a secret master of the ceremonies has been at work. It's like a seating arrangement has, ha has occurred and you didn't even know it. Christ, who said to the disciples, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, you have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for our discrimination and good taste in finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each the beauties of all the others. I love that. So God's at work putting people together, uh, orchestrating friendship. Does that mean we don't do anything? Uh, actually, we have a part to play. He often requires initiative on our part. There, often there's an ask involved, and we need to ask. Uh, think about this. If you've ever dated someone, if you've ever asked someone out for coffee, uh, made, a, made a new friend, if you've ever sought someone out to be a mentor, it required something of you. You had to ask somebody something. And uh, it's a hard thing, actually. It, it, think of those kind of contexts, asking someone out on a date put yourself out there. What a risk it feels in those moments. What, what might happen? They might reject me. They might say no. What's the other risk in those situations? That relationship might not ever open up. Earlier this uh, year, I suggested a theme that I wanted to see unfold here at Hillside, and it was simply this. 
bringing people together. And this year I've been praying kind of into that theme. I've been praying that, that uh, we wouldn't just uh, do church together, uh, show up on Sundays and kind of uh, sing a few songs and hear, a, hear some words, but we would actually learn what it means to do life together. And I've been praying that that would emerge, that, that uh, we would grow in our capacity to be authentic with one another. And, and uh, we're working at that, and we're thinking about how to organize ourselves. It's been encouraging this fall to see our small groups double in size. And I think, why did that happen? It's because I think there's a, there's a hunger for God, yes. And I think there's a hunger for a relationship that's, that's great in our midst. And I believe God has called us and put us together so that we might become friends. I think that's a cool thing. If that's, if, 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 a, if a year from now, if I see our friendship uh, capacity grow just a little bit, I'll feel like we've been a success as a church. Is that, is that fair? Is that, am I aiming too low here? Probably. But I'd love to see us become friends and become authentic with one another. So we pray for spiritual friendships, we ask, and then we, thirdly, we be a friend. You know what the golden rule of friendship is, or of spiritual friendship, is simply the golden rule. In other words, be the friend to others that you want them to be to you. In, in Ken Shigematsu's words, if you'll become the kind of friend your heart desires, then in time you'll have all the friends your heart needs. You get to that? If you become the kind of friend your heart desires, then in time you'll, you'll become the friends that your heart needs. How do we become the kind of friends your heart needs, desires? Well, it is by experiencing firsthand, I believe, a friendship with Jesus. He's the master friend. And we learn that he wants a friendship with us. When I was 19, I left home for the UK. Uh, I, I left there for some traveling for a little while. I was there for six months. Uh, and I was going to a Christian college there in Lancashire. Um, funny enough, I am no longer able to give blood because uh, in Canada because of Apparently, if you've lived for more than six weeks during a certain era of time uh, in the UK, they're worried that you might be carrying something. You know what it is? Mad cow disease. <laughs> Some would say that explains a lot, Derwin. Um, but my time in England was uh, an incredibly instructive time for me. Uh, very challenging six months. It was wonderful and hard, all rolled into one. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about God. And I learned a, a lot about myself. But there were a couple of key revelations that, that uh, I learned while I was there. I started to see my faith in Jesus, not just as a religious practice, but as a, a friendship. That was a major shift for me. I could, I could sense this invitation from Jesus. He didn't just want my devotion. He didn't want my money. He didn't want my worship and, and my service, just those things. He wanted my friendship. And, and I came back from England with this tremendous sense of possibility with my life with God. And it's been a journey of learning that again and again that what he wants from me most is friendship. The second revelation was that I didn't know much about friendship, <laughs> or at least authentic friendship with people. Um, I'm a very social person, and I love meeting new people. And uh, when I was in high school, I was very social. I knew everybody by name. When I went to college in England, it was no different. It seemed like in my first my mission in my first three weeks was to, to meet everybody, 200 students, and I knew everybody. And after a few months of being away from home, I found myself incredibly lonely. And what I found was having a pile of acquaintances doesn't answer your, your, your greatest needs. It wasn't sufficient for my loneliness. And so I came away. I was 
felt like in some sense I learned a little bit too late while I was in England, but, but when I came back to Canada, I kind of made a commitment. I, I said, I am going to prioritize being in an authentic relationship with just a few people. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to worry as much about the crowds. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in a few. And, and so when I got back, a, a friend at church invited me out for coffee, and he and I um, met that week, and we decided we'd meet again the next week, and we began meeting week after week after week. And what we did together, uh, the, the, that, that actually, that twosome became a, a quintet. There's five of us that met, and we confessed our sins, and we experienced this kind of community that I think is what God wants for us. And I felt healthy and whole for one of the first times in my life was in, in that summer when I developed those friendships with those five guys. I think that's God's picture for you, is that, and, and for us here at Hillside, is that in the years to month and months to come, we will find that there is a few of us, there, there will be a few people in your life you can let down the walls and be yourself with, and you'll love on them, and they will love on you, and you will be known, and you will know. It's a pretty cool picture, and it turns out it's exactly what we need. Let me close with a final thought, and it's this. It is our friendship with Jesus. That's where we learn what true spiritual friendship is all about because Jesus is the one who is ultimately committed to us, cares for us, and is completely candid with us. And so we, the opportunity we have is this. Experience the extraordinary friendship of Jesus Christ and then offer this gift of friendship to others. And, and as you do, may you become the kind of friend that your heart longs for and that you would have all the friends you need. Worship team, come forward. Let's, would you bow your heads with me and let's, let's pray?